Oklahoma, Iowa State kickoff at 6 p.m. Saturday night. If you're not able to be in the stadium, you can catch the game Fox Sports 1 on your television. What's up, everybody? This is Matt Hofe with Sooner Nation podcast. Second episode to drop in the same day. Pretty pumped about that. Trying to get caught up uh, where we got behind following the Cincinnati game. A couple of key storylines to kind of keep an eye on here for this game. Um, the Cyclones, you know, look, they, they're a 20-point underdog. Um, they come in with a, um, what is it, Oklahoma is like a 94.3% um, uh, favored on the ESPN matchup predictor. But the Cyclones have been pretty stingy when they come to Norman. Of course, they upset Baker Mayfield and company in 2017. They won the 2020 game. Uh, that was in Ames. They've only won three times since the 1961 season. But when you look at, and Brent Venables mentioned this earlier in the week in his, uh, in his media session, the last three meetings between these two teams in Norman, Oklahoma has scored 101 points. Iowa State has scored 100. So you've got that aspect of this, um, I don't even want to call it a rivalry because it's so lopsided, but you've got that aspect of this series between these two programs. But then you add in what I guess can only be called the Brent Venables factor. And when Brent Venables is on staff with the University of Oklahoma, the Sooners are 8-0 and against Iowa State. Um, and not only that, but th- these are the points that Iowa State has scored against Oklahoma when Brent Venables is on staff. They scored zero. They scored three. They scored three. They scored six. They scored seven. They scored seven, ten. And then last year against probably the worst defense Oklahoma has fielded in probably a decade at least, uh, the Cyclones put up 13 points uh, on the Sooners last year in that loss in Ames. So you, you've you got two different ways to look at this game. You've got what's happened in the last seven to ten years. Uh, you've got what's happened since Brent Venables has been back on staff and what Brent Venables was on staff previously. So there's really a bunch of different ways to kind of look at this game if you're going to put a historical perspective on it. What we do know now coming through uh, this 2023 season is that currently Dylan Gabriel ranks 12th nationally um, in multiple categories, um, at least 12, I guess in top 12 nationally in, in multiple categories. He's third in the country in passing completion percentage. He's fifth in passing efficiency rating. He's uh, fifth in passing touchdowns with 12. He's uh, fifth in points responsible for per game at 21. He's eighth in passing offense at an average of 306.8 yards per game. He's 12th in total offense at an average of 321.2. And he's in yards per uh, pass attempt at 10.4. And, you know, and he's... He's played 13 of Oklahoma's 16 quarters of football this season. So you've got that going. Um, if you're Oklahoma, that's the catalyst behind your offense. We talked in the previous podcast about really just how sluggish this rushing attack has been for the University of Oklahoma through four games this season. Don't be surprised 
if Oklahoma kind of gets their feet underneath them, uh, so to speak, when we're in this running game on Saturday, I think it's time. I think they think when when coaches uh, finally begin to start talking about it from their podiums, then you know it's about time for something to change. And so be it Marcus Major, be it Tawway Walker, uh, Javante Barnes, or even Gavin Salchuk, I would look for this Oklahoma offense to really start cranking out some yards against what has been a stingy Iowa State defense against the run. The Cyclones are only allowing uh, 115 yards per game on the ground. I think Oklahoma is going to exceed that on Saturday night. Um, and and here's the reason why. We, you've got Dylan Gabriel. You've got his stats. But we haven't really talked about what this offensive line is doing. Oklahoma ranks number eight nationally and allowing just point, uh, 0.8 sacks per game. Now, Contrast that with Iowa State. Now, the Cyclones come in here at 2-2, two and two, having just ended a two-game losing streak uh, by beating Oklahoma State in Ames last week. But through four games this season, Iowa State has only given up one quarterback sack. And so you've got two pretty decent offensive lines, and you've got two offenses that have struggled heavily to run the football this season. Oklahoma averaging just under 160 yards, 157.8 on the ground, where Iowa State is averaging 83.3 yards per game on the ground. And so when we look at Oklahoma's running back situation and we look at their rushing situation, you see that like like Tawe Walker leads this team in yards. They haven't really had one back that's broken free uh, to kind of claim that spot as the feature back. But the product on the field not great, but you look at what Iowa State's doing with an offensive line that's only allowed one quarterback sack on the season, and you think, well, it could be worse. It could be um, much worse because Iowa State is just barely over half of what Oklahoma is getting on the ground per game this season. And if when we talk about the X's and O's and the schematics of the game of football, it's much easier to run block than it is to pass block if you're an offensive lineman. You're opening up a gap. You got to move a body for just a fraction of a second where pass blocking, you got to prevent a guy from rushing, get rushing past you for three seconds ish. Uh, so I, I just, I don't know. I'm not sold. Honestly, I'm not sold that there has been a concentrated effort from Oklahoma's offense to move the ball on the ground in an effective way that that I what I really expected them to be this season offensively. If you've listened to the podcast, I've talked about how the Cheez-It Bowl was kind of the preview of what I thought Jeff Levy was going to do with this Oklahoma offense and making it more of a run-focused offense when you got Gavin Salchuk and Javante Barnes running for over 100 yards each against a Florida State defense that frankly is better than any defense that Oklahoma has faced to this point of the season. And we think, I mean, you look at the stats and you look at the percentages And we at least think that Oklahoma's offense is ahead of where they were in 2022, but yet we haven't seen that come to fruition with what they do on the ground. So 
Uh, something's broken there. And in the second podcast in a row now, that I'm stuck talking about Oklahoma's running attack, but there's something broke there. And it's either with these guys not being able to practice effectively due to the injury situation, or it's a lack of a concentrated effort. And that could be due to multiple factors. But I think this is probably the week that you see some things begin to click, begin to function with this running attack, because to be honest, you're going to need that. If you, if Oklahoma wants to have a chance to beat the Longhorns in Dallas, they've got to run the football. Dylan Gabriel has been exceptional, and I know there are those out there that have their criticisms of Oklahoma's quarterback, but at the end of the day, I just read all of his accolades. He's top 12 in so many different categories. Oklahoma's top four in scoring offense, and a lot of that is attributed to what Dylan Gabriel is doing, but I don't see a path to beat Texas without running the football. And I don't think you cannot run the football through five games of the season and then go into game number six thinking, okay, now we're going to turn it on. Uh, so the, all that leads me to believe this is the weekend, this is the day, this is the game where we see Oklahoma really hammer down and make a concentrated effort to run the football. It's just who's going to do that? Who's going to be that guy I don't know. I, I gave up on that again. I just I quit. I quit trying to figure it out because I was all body. And I, at first it was like uh, Gavin Salchuk, Javante Barnes. Those are going to be your two feature backs. Then I finally bought in on Tawei Walker. He didn't touch the ball against uh, against Tulsa. And then it was Marcus Major last week. So who, you, again, you you tell me your guess is as good as mine. My guess is as good as yours. But again, I'm sticking to my guns here, thinking that. Oklahoma's offensive line is going to pave the way to a pretty decent game on the ground for Oklahoma's running backs. Um, And I mentioned this earlier, Oklahoma's ranked second uh, nationally in scoring defense. They're allowing just eight and a half points per game. Um, They're also second nationally in interceptions with eight. Um, They're eighth in total takeaways at 10. Um, They're 11th on third down conversion. Um, They're 11th uh, on, uh, on tackles. Uh, for loss, 8.2 per game. And, I, you know, I kind of got away from that in the previous podcast when I was talking about um, the criticism of Oklahoma's defense and the lack of quarterback sacks. And when I was talking about that is, you know, quarterback sacks aren't the measure of success for a defense being disruptive in the opponent's backfield like it used to be. Now you, you do look at quarterback sacks. You factor that in there. But really, you look at uh, quarterback pressures uh, or quarterback hurries, the, those, those type of plays that disrupt um, a pass play, especially on timing. And then you look at tackles behind the line of scrimmage and Oklahoma averaging over eight tackles per game behind the line of scrimmage. Defensively, this is a, a team for the Sooners that – you know, they've given up just seven scores altogether on the season. They've given up three touchdowns. They've given up four field goals, 34 total points, the lowest point output for this team, for this program since 1992. Um, a lot of that's happening because of what Oklahoma's doing up front defensively. And when and we've said this, go back to when we had other hosts on this podcast. I mean, go back to day one. We have said when your defensive line plays better, suddenly your defensive secondary plays better. Now, 
don't get me wrong. I think they've made some some moves and they've got some guys that are out of the portal that are helping to strengthen this defensive secondary. But they've also got some guys who have developed. Well, I mean, we t- we've talked earlier about Woody Washington in the previous podcast and how Woody Washington is kind of having a revival of sorts uh, under this new regime of the coaching staff that OU has right now. But those guys are better for sure, but they're also aided by stellar defensive line play and that front seven. So when you, when you look at the schematics of this game, it looks like the strength of Oklahoma's defense, that front seven, is going to play into the weakness of Iowa State's offense, which is running the football. But you have that storyline on both sides because on paper, Oklahoma's offensive weakness and Oklahoma's confusion and Oklahoma's frustration has been running the football, and they're going to go against a defensive front that's that's unique for uh, really, I don't know that Oklahoma is going to see uh, a stack what they see against Iowa State. I don't know that you see that through other opponents throughout the year. But the Cyclones have been incredibly effective at limiting what opponents can do on the ground per game this season. And despite a 2-2 two and two record, they're pretty salty altogether defensively. This is a team that gives up, on average, less than 300 yards of offense per game. We 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 tout Oklahoma's defensive strength 310.8 yards per game surrendered to opponents, but when you look at Iowa State, they're below 300. 292 and a half is what the Cyclones are giving up to opponents on on offense. So you you would think coming in here it's strength on strength would be these two defenses going at each other. Um, the over-under, I wonder, I was thinking about that, I wanted to look up the over-under. 48.5 is where the over-under is, according to Caesars right now, um, on this game. That's really interesting. And here's the thing, I would take the over on this. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself on, on the score predictions here. But I, I think at 48.5, I'm pretty confident I, w- I would go over on that because of the unknowns. When you look at Iowa State's schedule, great defensive performance so far. They're 2-2, two and two, but they've played Northern Iowa. They've played Iowa, and the Hawkeyes aren't really known as an offensive juggernaut. They've played Ohio. That game went into overtime, and they lost 10-7. And then they played Oklahoma State last week, and they gave up to Oklahoma State the most points that they've given up to a team this season. Now, cool. Conversely, they scored the most points they've scored all season. 34 to 27 was the final there, but they gave up 27 points. And you're talking about a team that gave up nine to Northern Iowa. They gave up 20 to the Hawkeyes. They gave up 10 to the Ohio Bobcats and then 27 to Oklahoma State. And if you've watched any of the Oklahoma State games or highlights or whatever from this season, that is not a well oiled machine when you talk about what they're doing on the offensive side of the football. So the fact that the Cowboys put up 27 as, as uh, man, I'm trying to think of a, of, a, of a good adjective here that's not offensive. As anemic, let's go with that. With as anemic as their offense has been, I think it sets up pretty well for Oklahoma to have some offensive success in this game. I would take the over 
uh, on that when you're sitting at 48 and a half I think I think I could see this game pretty pretty easily getting uh, to 49 points all right we got much more to talk about this is the Sooner Nation podcast thanks for hanging out with us here's a couple of other interesting uh, notes when you think about this game Oklahoma owns a 79-7-2 all-time record against Iowa State and in the era of the Big 12 from 96 on the Sooners are 18-2. and two. We talked about in the previous segment those two losses in the Big 12 era coming in 2017, um, again in 2020. Oklahoma, uh, their, their winning percentage against Iowa State is the best by one Power 5 program against another who have played a minimum of 50 games. Um, the Cyclones um, in 88 all-time games. You're sitting on on seven wins, um, and again we talked about those those two victories um, most recently. The Sooners riding a three game winning streak in this series, um, seventy five and ten all time for Oklahoma in the month of September since the start of nineteen ninety nine when Bob Stoops came in and changed uh, this uh, program. We've talked about already. I've mentioned Oklahoma's thirty four points allowed this season are the fewest since nineteen ninety two. That team gave up 32 points through the first four game uh, of the season. And Oklahoma ranks in the top four nationally, both in scoring offense. They're number four at 46.8 points per game. And they're number two defensively, allowing just 8.5 points per game. And then the only time, the only time Oklahoma has trailed this season was last week against Cincinnati. They they trailed for uh, just a little over seven minutes there in the first quarter. Um, they trailed three to nothing in that game. And honestly, the only times that Oklahoma has ever been tied zero, uh, been tied in this game, uh, in this, excuse me, the only time the Sooners have ever been tied in a game this season has been when the scoreboard was zero, zero. And uh, here's a crazy stat. 240 minutes of football played this season. Oklahoma has led their opponent for two minutes, uh, 217 minutes and 17 seconds out of the 240 minutes played. So who are the guys we want to keep an eye on as these two teams take the field on Saturday night? I've talked a little bit about Oklahoma's running back situation. Marcus Major logging 15 carries last week against Cincinnati. He went for 63 yards and averaged 4.2 yards per carry. Um, that was a season high on the 15 carries. But um, and, and again, I, sorry, my ADD is kicking in here, but don't overlook that front seven from Cincinnati. I said this on the previous podcast. I'll say it again here. That Bearcat front seven is probably the best they'll play this season outside of Texas, unless they end up would like would end up facing Kansas State in the in the conference championship game. Because I think the Kansas State defensive front. Um, I, I think when when taking Oklahoma out of the equation, when you're just looking at teams they're going to play or potentially play this season, I think I would rate those defensive fronts um, with potential, right? Because Kansas State's not on the schedule, but there's potential there in the future uh, for these two teams to reach a Big 12 title game. It would be Texas, Kansas State, Cincinnati. Now, obviously, Texas and Cincinnati, the two teams that are definitely on the schedule, but Marcus Major going for over four yards per carry against them last week. You think, well, that's good. You know, maybe he's the guy that goes again uh, against Iowa State, but we just don't know. Um, 
you just don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Now, Cartavius Norton leads Iowa State with uh, 43 rushing attempts on the season. But we talked about the struggles that the Cyclones are having on the ground. He's averaging just 2.9 yards per carry on the season, um, which is ironic because as a team, the Cyclones are also averaging 2.9 yards per carry on the season and 83.3 yards total per game for Iowa State. Um, I, I don't think I can talk any more about Dylan Gabriel than what I already mentioned in that first segment, but uh, you saw if you watched that Oklahoma State game last week, you saw Rocco Beck uh, for the Cyclones. He's completing 64.7% of his passes. He's got 897 yards on the season, seven touchdowns to three interceptions, uh, and that's where you kind of want to park when you're breaking down opportunities to halter or to disrupt Iowa State's offense. You know, they've, they've played they've played four games, three interceptions, not quite enough to say, well, this guy's really, really, really turnover prone, but it is enough to let you know there's going to be opportunities out there. He is a true freshman. He's pretty athletic. He had a really good game against Oklahoma State. But then again, I mean, I, I've got, I mean, I'm impressed at how bad Oklahoma State football is in 2023. And so beating Oklahoma State, that there's not a lot to that uh, in terms of saying, yeah, he had a great game. That's like Oklahoma saying, well, you know, so-and-so had a really good game against Tulsa. I, listen, if Tulsa and Oklahoma State play right now, it's a, coin, it's a coin flip. It's a coin toss. Tulsa may be better. They may be better than Oklahoma State. So when you look at Rocco Beck, you think, well, he had a decent game against Oklahoma State, but you got to kind of put that, um, you would say, with a, with a grain of salt. I think there's chances here for Oklahoma to be disruptive in the opponent backfield because he's young. That means he's going to be more prone to making mistakes, and if Oklahoma can get him rattled with the blitz, with pressure, um, which I think that's exactly what they're going to try to do, then there's going to be a football or two floating around out there for Oklahoma's defensive secondary to to get a hold of. And you've already got ball hawks back there. Uh, You saw Billy Bowman. Uh, with his picks, you, you, um, you, I mean, you're seeing uh, Peyton Bowen uh, have an opportunity to make plays on the ball. Key Lawrence with a big interception last week against Cincinnati, and and and, and so on. So that's that's the first thing I'm looking at: Oklahoma's offense versus the Cyclone defense. You stuff the run because that's always going to be their first point, but Iowa State's going to help you with that. They're going to help you stop them from running the football just because they're so bad at running the football. Now, you don't have to worry about being so much as far as if you're if you're the cheated position or if you're a, a strong safety or a free safety. You don't have to worry as much about doing run support because you're trusting your guys up front to close off those gaps. You're, you're trusting those linebackers to be gap sound, and then you're trusting this team that's in front of you not to be very good and it's you got to be careful when you compare two teams that don't run the ball great you got to look at averages and when you look at averages between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State we just talked about uh, last week with Marcus Major over four yards per carry now you're talking about a team in Iowa State that's less than three yards per carry what does that tell you well, it tells you with Oklahoma, they're using multiple guys in multiple ways to run the football, and it's not super effective. But when you look at Iowa State, across the board, 
across the board, they're not that effective. And so that's going to amp up your uh, your ability to get pressure on the quarterback because of two things. Number one, I just mentioned, you got, you got greater trust in those guys in front of you to make those plays at or near or behind the line of scrimmage. But then the second thing is, when you're when you're not running the ball well, you're behind the chains a lot. And when you're behind the chains a lot, it gives you the opportunity as a defensive uh, player to know they've got to throw the football. When you're behind the chains, when you're facing second and eight, when you're facing second and ten, when you're facing third and seven or third and uh, you know you're if you're a defense, you're in plus territory because you've got them at third and twelve or third and thirteen. Man, you're coming. You're 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 coming with the blitz, especially against a freshman quarterback. Now, that said, Iowa State does have some playmakers at the receiver position. Uh, we talk about um, Oklahoma and Andrew Anthony, 17.1 yards per reception on the season. Anthony's leading Oklahoma 371 yards on 21 catches. Why am I telling you that? Because Iowa State's Jalen Knoll, uh, he's been their primary target. He's caught 20 passes on the season for 202 yards. He's only got one score, but he's averaging 10.1 yards per catch. It's all about volume, all right? Um, Andrew Anthony, 21 catches. You know he's a deep threat guy. At 17.1 yards on 21 catches, Jalen Null is more of a possession guy, and I think part of it is Iowa State just doesn't have time to jump back, drop back, and throw. But you got a kid that has a way, that has a knack of making catches for first downs. And really, if you're moving the chains, of course you want those bomb plays. You want those those 40, 45-yard bombs that Dylan Gabriel has been able to get over uh, on with Andrew Anthony. But if you're averaging over 10 yards a catch, you're moving the chains every time you catch the ball. And that's where Jalen Noll is for Iowa State. And that's why Oklahoma has to put uh, him on their radar of guys to watch. Defensively, that's going to put some spotlight on these cornerbacks. It's going to put spotlight on a guy like Woody Washington. Gentry Williams steps more into a spotlight position this week. And I don't know that the Cheetah, honestly, I, you know, I don't know that the Cheetah is going to be used that much to to support the rush, the run defense, um, just because I don't, again, all we said about Iowa State and their inability to run the ball, I think the Cheetah use, is more used this week in pass protection. Um, and so you got Desan McCullough out there. Those guys are kind of going to have some responsibility on them. Uh, but that doesn't leave out a guy like Danny Stutzman, right? Danny Stutzman is leading this team almost every single week. In total tackles, I think another thing when you're looking at uh, Oklahoma's defense, look, I, I'm buying into Jaron Kanick. I, I know that Brent Venable said he was fine. I saw the podcast. Jaron Kanick kind of talked about um, what was happening. He's supposed to be back. He's supposed to be full contact. I, I mean, look, do you, knowing how important he is, do you put him out there full go against? Um, against Iowa State knowing that Texas is next week? Or do you give a guy like Connor Near, Kobe McKenzie, or even Kip Lewis, do you give them a little bit of a run to make sure you just put Kinnick out there, make sure he's okay, let him, you know, keep his feet under him, so to speak. But do you, I mean, I, 
I'm just wondering, to me, and, and only as a fan, as a fan's perspective, I, I'm thinking Kanak is way more valuable to me next week in the Cotton Bowl than he is this week at home against Iowa State when I think there are other guys out there that they're not going to be to that same level because if they were, they would be starting over him. But they're going to be close enough that I think I can give let this guy make sure he's 100% healthy facing Texas. So there is going to be a little bit of a spotlight when you're looking at Oklahoma defenders. Uh, you want to watch that linebacker position. That's the weak side, excuse me, that's the, um, that's the middle linebacker, the Mike linebacker. Um, and the depth chart for the game reads uh, Kanick, Connor Near, Kobe McKenzie uh, in that order. So I'm just really curious to see what happens from that position, from that perspective, uh, when you're looking at guys to keep an eye on. Now, Iowa State, um, they're pretty solid defensively through the first four games of the season. We already talked about less than 300 yards they're, they're allowing per game altogether. Um, that puts them statistically as the best overall defense in the Big 12 in terms of yards. And so you've got a defensive battle kind of rearing its head with the best scoring defense in the Big 12 in Oklahoma and the best yardage defense in the Big 12 with Iowa State. Um, the kid, Bo Frailer, uh, he leads the Cyclones with 26 tackles. He's a safety. He's all over the field. And then linebacker Caleb Bacon, um, interesting. He, he's got two quarterback sacks, um, but he's not really listed as a starter on their depth chart. And this dude got roasted last week. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, the Cyclones put him out on um, linebacker, okay? Uh, middle linebacker. Uh, they put him out on pass coverage. I mean, not, not like picking up somebody out of the middle of the field. They move him all the way over to the boundary uh, on pass coverage. And that meant, I, 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 as soon as I saw that, I was like, I love that from a perspective of looking at Oklahoma's offense and the potential mismatches that they can produce if that were to continue to happen. But he is a guy that leads the Cyclones uh, in quarterback sacks. And, um, and then you got Jeremiah Cooper, uh, three interceptions for Iowa State. Again, you've got the best scoring defense in Oklahoma against the best total yardage defense in Iowa State. Going back to just the way my brain works, that makes that 48 and a half over under. You almost want to say, okay, so this is going to go towards the over considering these defenses. I'm not sold on Iowa State's defense against Oklahoma's offense. I'm just not there yet. That's why I would stick with that over. And that's probably the last time I'm going to talk about it uh, until I make my score prediction here in just a few minutes. So what are we watching for Oklahoma and Iowa State on Saturday night? I think it comes down to four different things for me uh, that I want to look for when this game kicks off. I think the first thing I want to look at is, will Iowa State be able to move the ball on the ground? Like something we've already talked about, the Cyclones struggling with uh, with rushing offense, 83.3 yards per game on the ground. The Sooners are allowing opponents just 95.3 yards per game on the ground. Can Iowa State move the football against Oklahoma on the ground? If they can't, I think it spells a certain doom, if if you will, for this Cyclone offense. I just Oklahoma's defense is so much 
more powerful this year than what they were last year. Last year, it was about getting concepts, but not really having the bodies, particularly up front. This year, it's the concepts and the bodies, what they want to do and what they're able to do this year are very close. Last year, what they wanted to do and what they were able to do, not in the same ballpark, but they're closer this year. Brent Venables even talked about this week about the the improvement that they're making, but they're not there to where they want to be. They're on their way, but they're not there. Oklahoma being able to limit Iowa State from running the football without adding extra personnel to do such is going to is going to be huge for Oklahoma's defensive success against the Cyclones. And so you got to watch for that. If if Iowa State's struggling to move the ball on the ground, they're going to struggle to put points on the scoreboard. And you think back to what Cincinnati did or didn't do last week against Oklahoma in their running game. The Sooners held the Bearcats uh, to six points throughout that game largely because Cincinnati was unable to effectively move the ball on the ground. They had moments, they had burst, but overall it was a rushing attack that got bogged down uh, behind Oklahoma's defensive front seven. And I don't believe Iowa State it runs the ball at the same level that Cincinnati does. That, that, that was a Bearcat team that went into that game with a top five rushing offense in the country. So, can Oklahoma continue to limit their opponents on the ground? Um, that's going to bode well for Oklahoma's defensive success. Uh, again, something I, I'm keeping an eye on, and I hate to continue to talk about it because I don't, I don't have another way to express myself. But you just the curiosity gets the best of you. When you're looking at this running game for Oklahoma, I'm I'm still not sold that it's Marcus Major and Tawi Walker. I, I know, I know it's been those guys for the majority of the four games this season. But I, I just I can't look at what Javante Barnes has done in his time on the field and not think this dude isn't a top back for the University of Oklahoma right now this season. And I said earlier, I, I think this is a game where they start to find themselves in the rushing attack. If it is Tallway Walker, I'm okay with that. I can accept that. But it, I just, I mean, Tallway Walker is averaging 5.2 yards per carry. Marcus Major, 4.2 yards per carry. Javante Barnes, 4.4 yards per carry. I mean, and, and they're they're pretty close. Walker with 34 carries, Marcus Major with 32 carries, Javante Barnes with 28 carries, and then you jump all the way down to Gavin Salchuk, only 10 carries on the season and 2.6 yards per carry. I'm just who gets to be the guy for Oklahoma on Saturday and moving forward? Because honestly, I think I'm at a point where whoever is that guy on Saturday, that's going to be the guy. When this team takes the floor, takes the field, whatever, in the Cotton Bowl against Texas and what is going to be the biggest regular season game of the year for Oklahoma. And and by the way, I mean, I, I think it's funny. Um, you know, I, I, there's so much interest on the Oklahoma fan base in Texas, Kansas. 
Um, I, and I, I find entertainment in that. And if the Jayhawks were to go into Austin and, and pull that upset on Saturday, no one would enjoy that more than me. But on the flip side of that, you're talking about a top five team in the country and the Texas Longhorns. You talk about potentially a top 15 team uh, in Oklahoma, top 10 team possibly even in, in Oklahoma going into that matchup. It's been a long time since uh, Texas and Oklahoma meeting in the Cotton Bowl has carried this much weight. And it's not just the national rankings. It's the fact that these are the these are the two teams that are exiting the Big 12. And as of right now, the new teams in the Big 12 and the holdovers, people call them the hateful eight, um, they, they've not been super impressive. They've not been super impressive this season. Oklahoma and Texas have been and will remain and go out as the flagship programs here in the Big 12. And that game is going to carry a lot of weight nationally between these two teams I think whoever is Oklahoma's primary ball carrier against Iowa State will be that guy going into Texas. And I already said uh, pretty much exactly what I just said about Iowa State. If Oklahoma wants to upset Texas, because the Sooners will be an underdog in that game, if Oklahoma wants to upset Texas, they've got to be able to run the football. Now, here's another thing that's interesting for me, at least uh, maybe for everybody to keep an eye on when it comes to this game on Saturday. It, it's, it's trends. It, it's what Oklahoma's offense has done to this point of the season. They're, they're alternating. I mean, the, the opening weekend, 73 points against Arkansas State. You come back the next, the next week, you're in the 20s, 28 points against SMU. And then, bam, you go to Tulsa, 66 points and then you go back to your um, to your season low, 20 points at Cincinnati last week. You're alternating big offensive, big scoring games with mediocre scoring games. And if that trend is going to hold, that means this is a big offensive scoring game. I don't think Oklahoma gets into the 60s. They've been 60-plus two out of the four weekends of the season. I don't. I just don't – I think it would be amazing if they did because that really puts a lot of people on notice. If you go 60-plus against what is a very well-respected Iowa State defense, I'm not holding out any hope of that happening. I will let myself be pleasantly surprised if it does. But the point is, does this offense – can they get into the 40s? Can they get into the 30s? Can they break that 20 barrier because that you know every other week you're in the 20s and the week after that it's been 60-plus? Um so I'm watching that trend just because that's something that's happened uh, throughout the season. And then, uh, again, it's a big story for me, and it's something to keep an eye on, is that middle linebacker position. I, I just I see so much value in Jaron Kanick that I don't think you need him as much this week against Iowa State as you would need him the following weekend against Texas. And so I want to know, do they run some other guys behind him and let them get their play and make sure you have 100% at your middle linebacker spot uh, with Jaron Kanick going into the Cotton Bowl. So that's kind of where I am uh, on the four things I'm watching for um, for Oklahoma-Iowa State on Saturday night. Again, game kicks off at 6 p.m., Fox Sports 1. Um, you know, I guess I, I do uh, end all of the podcasts, uh, pre- preview game uh, podcasts, with a little bit of a score prediction. So I'm going to go that route uh, again. 
Oklahoma sitting at a 20-point favorite in this game. And the Sooners, uh, you know, the over-under, uh, we talked about it, 48-and-a-half. 40, uh, um, you know, here's the thing. I've picked Oklahoma not to cover all four games so far this season. And last week, that point spread was kind of weird. I had it at 14-and-a-half, so I had them not covering a bunch of people had it at 14. They got a push. And there was a, a several people that got it at 13 and a half. And so they covered. And so really it depends on, it depends on who you talk to as, a, as to what they did and didn't do against the point spread. Now, according to Caesars, I'm looking at it right now. According to Caesars Sportsbook, Sooners are 20-point favorites. I don't think they cover. I think it's close. I think this is around a... Um, let's see, let's go 35-17 type game. It's a comfortable win. Um, it's a win that you can get confidence from, but it's not a win where you cover the point spread. Now, keep in mind, I've been wrong three out of four times on Oklahoma and the point spread so far this season. Um, but I think, I think you come in just under, excuse me, uh, just over that, um, that, uh, that 58, 48, what is it? I think you come in over that 48 and a half points. Um, you really, if you go with what you, you go with, uh, what did I say? 35, 17. Yeah. You're, you're well over that. Um, and so there you have it. That's my breakdown. You can hit us up on, um, on Twitter at sports heartland. Let us know where you agree, where you disagree. Let us know if you got any comments or thoughts, uh, you want to add into the podcast. You can find us on the internet, heartland-sports.com. Uh, we've got stuff just about every day uh, leading up to game week and then uh, post-game stuff as well. Enjoy your weekend, guys. Enjoy your football. We'll be back later on to talk what was Oklahoma and Iowa State. Bye. Bye.